You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. I'm Daryl Pullis, and this week I'm talking to Shauna Coronado. She's an author, a speaker, a photographer, a gardener, and an enthusiastic supporter of green living. She was with us before, about a year ago, and we talked about some of her efforts, and the show is available in the archives, so you can listen to it, Um, some of her efforts to green the neighborhood and grow flowers and food for people. And today we're going to be talking about something happened to you this year that was really unusual. Um, (laughs) I, this year you've had a major change in your life. Can you tell us about it, Shauna? Yes, absolutely. So um, this summer I was diagnosed with a severe form of spinal osteoarthritis. And, and the irony here is I just wrote a book called Grow a Living Wall, which is the perfect book if you have arthritis <laughs> to teach you uh-huh. how to garden up more. And then six months after the book came out, I was diagnosed. And why it's so devastating, I'm in my 40s, and this diagnosis is typical when you're in your 80s, not when you're in your 40s. And so that means for the next 30 to 40 years, I'll be living with pain every day, and it won't go away. And my concern, you know, and looking at the garden and understanding how big of a garden I have, uh, how can I possibly live with that drama you know, in my life, that constant pain and continuing to do things the way I did them. And the doctor who's an osteosurgeon, his advice was you need to scale back. You need to keep gardening but find a different way to do it. And this, of course, went to my whole lifestyle. So that's what I'm trying to do is how can I find a way personally to scale everything back Well, and that's what we're going to be talking about today, some of the changes you're making and some of the changes that I've made over the last several years, because, as you know, I was also diagnosed with arthritis. I was first diagnosed when I was 16, and so, yes, I've been living with arthritis for decades, but, Shauna, Mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be a death sentence. It doesn't. I was so devastated. So devastated. So I was. I. I'm so glad to hear somebody give a positive turn on it. Well, you know, it's you, like my rheumatologist says. You have to do what you can do, and enjoy doing what you can do. And what you can't do, you just have to let it go. But Absolutely. there are some tips and there are some techniques and things like that. Now, did your did your back come on suddenly, or has this been growing on you? Because I know with your TV shows, you were hauling around big bags of compost and oh, stuff yeah. like that. No suckers, like fifty pounds worth. Oh yeah, I can easily toss fifty pounds over my shoulder, no problem at all. And uh, this is a huge change for me. So, so the first steps, by the way, in relationship to this was I went to the doctor. And he gave me the diagnosis and set me up with physical therapy. Now, doing physical therapy, these exercises are not just for the length of the time you're at physical therapy. They're really for me for the rest of my life, you yep. know, not to stop doing. Because the type of arthritis I have requires conditioning in a certain part of my body, you know, in my back and my shoulders, so I need to keep this up. Okay, then the next level. I had, my daughter has a condition that requires a nutritionist, 
And so I had been going to this nutritionist for years who I love locally, but she was giving advice. She kept saying anti-inflammatory diet. That was her that was her freak over and over and over. And I ignored her because, seriously, you don't eat dairy, you feel better? I don't think so. You know, that was my mentality about it. Well, let me tell you, I have uh, the doctor recommended walking. My nutritionist recommended this diet for seven weeks. I have been walking every single day, and I've been practicing this diet, which is, the, there's, a, there's some details to it, but the long and short of it is no dairy, no wheat, low carbs, no sugar. That's it. No sugar, no dairy, no wheat is, is kind of the message. Now, there's a few things I've introduced back in with success, but when you start taking the, the diet at first is dramatic. You're like, my God, how can I live like this? Now what's happened, the result of the diet is I have gone down 40 points with my blood pressure. I still take meds, but just tiny bit of meds for the blood pressure. I feel better emotionally than I felt in five years. I'm in a good mood a lot because of this. And my pain has been reduced by at least 50%. That's that's dramatic. That's dramatic for me personally. And here's the biggest part of it all. I'm going to have to write a book about it because in the end, I feel full every day. Full. I am never hungry, and I'm losing weight. It's a magnificent way to to live. I really am surprised and happy at this aspect of taking care of myself that I didn't really know before the arthritis. Well, you know, Shana, I think that we don't think about a lot of a lot of us at least we don't think about taking care of ourselves until something happens in our life when we're forced to either you're slowing down um you know even if you don't have arthritis as we do but you might start to slow down or just feel kind of off on some days and so then we start thinking about well what is it can we take a supplement do we increase our exercise do we change our exercise and yeah you know we do have to keep up with the physical therapy exercises and the walking every day though i have to caution people before you do this talk to your doctor of course Mm -hmm. um and even though sean and i will be talking about some techniques and also when you start out don't I was always wanting to please people, please my physical therapist and and everything. So I would overdo. When I started walking, I started overdoing, um, you know, and I ended up with uh, metatarsalgia, which is a a problem in the bottom of your feet because I was walking so hard I was stopping. And I understand that you have a little problem when you're walking too, (laughs) don't you? You have been watching my Facebook page. This has been the funniest thing ever. This has been so funny. Um, My bottom on the right side, my butt, feels like someone has punched it. And I was really aggressively walking at the gym every day. And it feels like it got punched. And so I go back to my osteoarthritis doctor, and he says, he says, yes, you do have arthritis in all of your back. So this could be triggering some of it. But really, I think you have tendinitis. And I'm like, I have tendinitis. Seriously, I have. <laughs> I have. The first thing I said when I went in is, I think I have ass arthritis. <laughs> He's like, no, this is something different. But, yeah, it's because I overdid it a little when I started. Now, I can get up to that pace again. 
but they're, now I'm back in therapy, and I'm on steroids for a couple weeks until I can get over the tendonitis that's been bothering me. And he's like, once you, he's like, you jumped in hard. He's like, you know, pull back a little, but do not, now this is really interesting, because he said, do not stop walking. He said, this right. is the thing we should all be doing. He's like, I'll try to fix your bottom up, but you need to walk. That's the, the number one thing. And as a gardener, all these years, I've always considered myself rather fit, because I, like you said, I'm out there hefting those 50-pound bags. But in reality, I was fit during the garden season. The rest of the year, I, wrote, I sat in front of my computer writing, and I didn't exercise regularly. So this is a life change for me in committing to the walking as well as gardening and, you know, being outdoors more and more of the exercise. And I am definitely proof that you can feel better if you practice a few simple health routines that make sense. Yeah, now people looking at if you watch the archives of your TV show, you are not were not a fat person. So I'm really surprised to hear that you were you lost weight. Oh yeah, I've lost weight. You know, on if you look at the scales, the BMI scales, I'm still quite, I'm I'm at the top of the normal range. So I'm still not ultra thin or anything like that uh, compared to what the the BMI rules are out there for your for your body fat. Uh, however, uh, I think that there's a difference between muscle and fat, and there is. I'm building, yeah, you know, and I'm building positive muscle versus the other, and uh, in my legs and my back and all that sort of thing. So, you know, I don't see myself ever as being ultimately thin. I'll tell you what helped me lose the weight. This is interesting too, and and please, everyone, take note because I was blown away. For three years, I've been eating a 1,200-calorie-a-day diet trying to keep my weight low, you know, not to, you know, I want to be in the healthy range and not to exceed that, so 1,200 calories a day. My lovely nutritionist, and her name is Deepa Deshmukh, if anyone wants her contact information, uh, I would be happy to provide it privately so you can send a note, but Deepa told me, listen, you need to eat fat. And what we hear in the press in the United States is it's the fat that's bad for you. Fats are bad. That's the message that I've gotten for the last 30 years. Sure. So I cut out almost all the fats in my diet. All right. With this change, she said, you're going to have to, for two weeks, I want you to eat more calories. And I want you to listen to me. I want them to not be junk food, no carbs. Instead, I want them to be healthy fats. So we're talking... Hummus, avocado, nuts, almond butter, seeds, those type of things. Mm -hmm. And so every day I raise my caloric intake up to 1,500 to 1,600 calories a day, did my one hour of walking a day, and I'm losing weight. The fats are a miracle. The fats have given me my memory back. I am no longer as forgetful as I was before. I, I think and they make you less hungry, too. Oh, that's why I'm full all the time. I never feel, and if I do get hungry, it's because I've waited too long in between my snacks, my fat snacks, you know. And this is amazing because for three years I was hungry. Yep. Why are we starving ourselves in the United States trying to look like the celebrities and all that when if we would start eating healthier, we would all slim down naturally anyway? But for some reason, we have it on our heads that we have to have some extreme diet, 
that, of course, leads to failure. And no exercise, because we don't have time in our day for it. If you don't make time in your day for your health, then what do you have there? You don't have a very good day. <laughs> no, you don't. And, and, and you, the longer you wait, the harder it is. So that's another consideration that we need to think about. I agree. Because it's tougher, you know, in your 60s and 70s, let's say, your health starts to fail naturally. I mean, it's a part of, you know, your body wears out. Okay? So Mm -hmm. if you were building up to your 60s and 70s with better health, you would go into a difficult time ahead of the the rest of the crowd and, and hopefully have less consequences, you know, less problems because of that. So I agree with you, and I wish I would have discovered this 20 years ago. Well, I I kept it up, and I think the reason that I can still move around at all, I'm, you know, Medicare age, and the reason I I can do anything at all, I'm sure, is because I walked and I did slow weights and things like that and my physical therapy exercises all through my 30s and 40s. When I got into my 50s, it was more difficult, but I was still able to be in the swimming pool, you know, on arthritis exercise days and keep warm. And I think that makes a big difference, too. We're going to have to take a little break. We're going to have to take a little break pretty soon. But when we come back, I want to talk about the changes that you're making to your garden, and we can share some tips about what I have learned over the years about managing some of the garden chores. We'll be right back with America's Homegrown Veggies right after this. This is Michael Gano with Insight to Israel. Every day, the Israeli Defense Force finds itself on the front line of the war with the militant arm of Islam. Surrounded by enemies from within and without, they fight for the only Jewish state. Military service is mandatory, ladies serving two years and men serving three right out of high school. While young people in other democracies are busy traveling or attending university, Israeli men and women gear up for basic training. In a world of heads of state, politicians, ambassadors, diplomats, and a leftist media, many times our voice at the grassroots level is drowned out. So we started an ongoing project called Hershey's for Heroes. Patriot conservatives from all over the U.S. are sending Hershey's chocolate bars with a note of thanks for defending Israel. Won't you join us by sending a sweet message to the IDF? For information, please see my Facebook page at Michael Gano. Thank you, God bless Patriot conservatives, and God bless Israel in her struggle for sovereignty and security. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. I'm Daryl Pullis, and my guest today is author, photographer, and TV personality, Shauna Coronado. And we were talking right before the break about some of the nutritional changes that she has made and changes in her exercise routine. And I think for the rest of the show, we're going to share some tips, things that I've learned, things that she's learning, things from her new book. And Shauna, you know, I kind of think that there must have been a guiding hand. When I first heard you say on Facebook about your diagnosis of of spinal arthritis, um, I, I, my first thing was, she's going to need to garden up instead of garden down, crawling around. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, it just seemed like there must have been a guiding hand to have you re- write that book last year. <laughs> 
start the Grow a Living Wall book, it comes out six months later, I get diagnosed with this. I call my publisher, I'm like, I can't even believe it. I mean, that's just the weirdest thing I've ever heard that, you know, I would publish this book. Well, it'll be a tool for me because this is obviously, when this happened, I decided I really wanted to, I'm not alone in this. So I wanted to help others feel better. And it's not just arthritis. It's whatever condition you might have. Uh, my sister had fibromyalgia for years and was in horrible pain. Um, but being outdoors makes her feel better. And so I think that that connection with nature is so very important that if I could inspire people to try to get out, to change their diets, to act and do uh, healthy things, then they'll feel better about it. So that's, that's my next phase is to up the ante, if you will, and go towards uh, more healthy choices when I write and when I promote uh, that healthy attitude. Now, what are you what are you doing with your garden? You have a large garden. You had it was gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous. And a couple of weeks ago, you had your friends come in and take a bunch of plants. So, what are you going to do with that space? Uh, it first of all, it was a very dramatic change. Uh, I cried. <laughs> I'm sure this has been my baby, and I, I I had a rough time. But. But the news was I could not keep up with it this season. Behind my fence, behind my property, I had this 250-foot-long garden, and it was killing me. You know, it was just so painful for me to be out there working in it. And so uh, we have uh, volunteers came in to dig up all these plants and then reuse them in my community. And so we reduced the size of the garden by 150 feet. So there's only 100 feet left. Now, other people would be like, 100 feet? girl, oh, my God, you know, but no, 100 feet is, is doable compared to the 250 that I had. I just couldn't manage it. Okay. Then uh, I, of course, wrote, wrote the book, Grow a Living Wall. I have some raised beds in my backyard. Uh, last year, in the backyard itself, I had planted the entire thing with vegetables. So we're talking about 30 feet by 30 feet filled with vegetables and only inches apart. So they were really jammed in there. And this year, the food that I donated to the local food pantry totaled 514 pounds. So this was like a big vegetable year for me. But I had to plant over 2,000 plants to get there. And oh my. my point being is that that's too much for someone with my condition. So the goal is let's reduce everything back so that instead of having all vegetable gardens that I have annual gardens that you have to plant every year over and over and over, let's switch the things that are in ground to perennial. And how do we do that? So the backyard that was all vegetable, I have divided it. I have raised beds. I'll plant a few vegetables and herbs in next year, only a few. I'm planting the rest of that 30 feet up with Ecolon, which is, if, if you know Miriam from the Wildflower Farm that's in Canada, she sells Ecolon. And Ecolon is amazing because it only takes one mowing per year, maybe two, depending on where you live. I'm going to let it grow to its full height, which is about six inches, and then put uh, statuary and, like, art on top of the grass. I think it will be beautiful, and it will be significantly less work and environmentally friendly because of the low mowing rate for the grass. So that's a huge change in the back garden itself. That but is a big change. 
It is huge. But the front garden I'm so excited about. Uh, a girlfriend of mine, her name's Renee Salinas, uh, came out yesterday. Now, remember, I've had people out, like, we've actually carted away 15 carloads of plants for other people to have. So I've really taken that uh, share a plant thing to the extreme. <laughs> a lot of people take these plants. And now the front lawn is all empty. And my girlfriend Renee came over and she said, you know, uh, I'm going to help you out. She weeded, she helped prepare the soil, she dug several of my garden stuff. I mean, she's been really a wonderful help. The, the point here is please ask for help when you have a condition. I didn't. I refused to ask for help because, God forbid, I should so, show someone I needed something. You know, I'm, I'm very traditionally that mom that wants to be, uh, you know, seen as very strong and all that. She came in and kicked butt. We, yesterday, planted the front lawn up with a combination of drought-tolerant plants and native plants. And they're butterfly attractors. So we switched to see pictures of it. Oh, I'm so excited. So very excited. So we switched it from being an all-vegetable garden to another useful type of garden, which would be to help the pollinators. So very exciting stuff. A lot of I love the way you think about that. I, when I got, when I realized that I couldn't keep up with a 150-foot perennial garden and a 150-foot rose garden and, and the rest of it, because we've got about two-thirds of an acre, mm-hmm. I went sort of in a slightly different way. I planted a lot of natives, but they were mostly trees and shrubs, you know, like serviceberry and things like that, and some of the viburnums that fruit you know, later on when there's a little bit less um, and I found that that helped a lot, and that might be something that some of our listeners might want to consider, too, because I kept them pretty much on the perimeter. I left the inside um, so I could still garden um, and, you know, do some, do some flowers and things like that. And the only lawn that we had was over the septic tank, over the drain field, because, you know, right. you're not supposed to plant trees and stuff on it. But I really like your idea of, especially because you like to garden and it's you like to see things see the work of your hands and all your neighbors are used to coming by and seeing all the flowers it must have been a very big shock to them too (laughs) to see it all empty exactly in the back especially but in the front we replanted the section i i found a bunch of pavers buried under uh some chocolate chip ajuga that used to be a part of a, a major path i dug all my stones up we rebuilt a little path through the garden, and then I surrounded the path with Asclepias butterfly weed, which uh-huh. is bright orange, you know, in the, this Asclepias Friday is bright orange. And so my color combination goal for next season is purple and orange. And so all the natives I planted have a purple flower to it, all the drought-tolerant plants. I, I threw in some of the new Little Spire Russian sage, which is a mm-hmm. shorter grower, and doesn't flop over so much, and he's there in the back of the garden. So you'll see purple and orange and purple again all through the garden, and I I hope that my neighbors are really pleased with it. Wow, what a change from food to flowers. (laughs) You've always been passionate about growing your own food and and healthy food and wonderful greens and stuff like that. Are you giving that up almost entirely except a little patch in the back? No, we have the little patch in the back, but then I'll have all my living walls. 
So the living walls will be all food all the time and significantly less. I'm not going to pull out 514 pounds of food from my living walls because I just don't have <laughs> enough on the property. But uh, there's no reason why I can't be growing lettuces and kale and, you know, that sort of thing and really focus on uh, still that same message over and over of growing food and finding creative ways to do it, especially for people that are handicapped or have health problems. They need those fresh herbs and vegetables. I think it's a really important message, mm-hmm. and I don't want to give it up. Uh, so we'll have that still. Uh, I'm One garden I'm mixing entirely is up close to my house, and it's about... 12 feet by 12 feet that was this year just filled with uh, black-eyed Susans and things like that. Well, we're going to dig it all out, and I am laying out a patio just with whatever stone I can find. And we'll, so that will eliminate some work. But my goal is to have raised beds that are arthritic-level beds to garden in, and I'll be gardening vegetables in those too. So those will be like waist high, and I'm still trying to figure that out, how we're going to, you know, put that together. But that will also be a part of the message so that people can really see. You know, it's a test garden, so even though it's my yard, my real yard, it's also a place that I, I want to test out things and see what works and what doesn't. I will try to remember to dig out some plans that I have for raised beds that we used in a hospital. Um, some it was it was many years back, but it worked out really well because they weren't ugly, and you know because some of them are really ugly looking. Mm-hmm. They weren't ugly, and it gave the residents a, a, a way to garden. And you know, as as you said, when you have health problems, it's critical to get outside for your mental health and your physical health. And, you know, and it was it really bothered me when I heard about all these residents that the only thing that they could do was to go outside, in, usually in wheelchairs because most of them were elderly. They could go and they could sit on the porch and watch traffic go by. That's no uh, kind of life. No. So, so, they, so we did that, and I think I still have the plans. And there's a lot of things out there if you look for... Um, ADA, that's Americans with Disabilities Act. If you look under that for plans, you can find some wonderful, wonderful stuff. Excellent. Now, I hope you are getting help and not lifting those stones yourself. <laughs> Yesterday, I lifted the stones. So this morning, I'm hurting. I really am. And the, I have to, the, my friend Renee, you know, gave me a big lecture. She said, you stop lifting those stones. So it is a gradual ebbing for me because it's hard to cut, it's hard to stop doing all the physical work cold turkey and to find a, a new way to do it. But I am gradually going to uh, do this change. Next year, I'll still be weeding. But when I lower myself, I can still lower myself to the ground and pull weeds without a problem. It's the giant weeds and the, you know, a giant garden that was really part of the problem. And then planting 2,000 plants every spring. And yeah. so this, all that this crawling really around work. and bending. That, that's, yeah. that's a tough thing to do. And you don't realize how much your back, how much stress your back takes when you're bending over. Mm-hmm. It's just amazing. Um, it, I found that if I didn't keep up my back muscle exercises, I couldn't bend over. You know, mm-hmm. it just I could bend over to plant maybe five plants, and that was it. Now, there are some weeders and some adaptive tools out there. Have you looked into any of those? I have, and I, I'll be doing more features on that. Oh. 
on them over the, the next year. Uh, you know, almost all of the snipping tool companies like Fiskars and everything have special reaching tools that allow you to clip and snip and, and that sort of thing with a minimum hand motion. So, it, and I'm not going to, you know, promote a certain brand in that aspect because they all have different types. Um, one of the better tools, though, when you're talking about specifically built for a hand grip, DeWitt Tools has a longer hand grip tool. They have a whole series of them, and they're built for people who have arthritis and other issues so that, you know, you can really reach across a bed and dig. That might be at waist height. You don't have to be right there on top of it to do it. And the benefit of these, there's a dual benefit. One is these tools are lifetime tools. So they are guaranteed for life. So if anything should happen. So they're a little more expensive. But if you invest in one or two good tools, that's all you really need to do your hand digging sort of things. And the other we benefit is... We have to take a little break right now. Oh, go ahead. But when we come back, we'll talk about the tools because you even have one that's named for you, don't you? I do. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We'll be back with America's Homegrown Veggies right after this. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. This is America's AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. This morning I'm talking to Shauna Coronado, and right before, she's an author and recently was diagnosed with spinal arthritis, and we're talking about ways to get around and do other things. And right before the break, Shauna, you were telling us about the DeWitt tools, and I had seen where they actually even named one after you. Did you ever think it? <laughs> did you ever in your million, any million years think that you would need to use these yourself? No. Never. I, I, this was the last thing that was on my mind. You know, when we're younger, too, we think we're going to live forever. We're never going to have any health problems. Everything's going to be great. And the reality is that every human being has to decline or have health. I mean, there is no human that is absolutely perfect. So here we are, you know, learning how to redo things. Now, the Shauna trial came out actually several years ago, and that came around because uh, I went to the Netherlands to speak at a, a a giant event there called the Floriade, and it's held every 10 years. It's all about flowers and growing, and I was invited to speak. So I spoke at, I spoke there. It was very exciting. And then afterwards, the DeWitt Tool Company picked me up and took me to their factory. And so it's a blacksmith factory where they blacksmith all their tools. The tools are, you know, it's like 90% handmade. They have some uh, factory heating units and things like that that uh, helps them solder and that sort of thing. But generally speaking, every tool is made by hand. It's all, they're all uh, have a lifetime warranty. And I have to tell you, no one's paying me to promote them. They, I, I just was blown away by the whole experience of going and seeing the blacksmiths make the tools themselves. It's really neat. And while I was there, I complained. I said, Janae, you're missing a tool. I can't find it anywhere. I, I need a trowel that 
is wider because when I go to plant my containers up, my soil fills out of my trowel, especially if I'm shaky or, you know, I, I have a hard time keeping the soil on the trowel. Um, but I don't want to go buy a specific scoop for it. I want a trowel, you know, that would enable me to cut things out of the container uh, and that would be versatile. So that day, it took us four hours. We built a prototype live while I was there, and I, I, did the, I participated in the entire experience. And what we did was built a wider trowel that has a little notch cut in the side of the, the metal. So you can flip it around and cut your plastic bags open with this sharp little notch. I absolutely love it. It's a tool that I use all the time regularly, especially for container planting. And all my living wall planting is all based on using this tool as well. And, again, I'm not being paid to promote it. It's just I went over, I had this experience. It was amazing, and the tools have a lifetime guarantee, and I fell in love. I really I really enjoy them. And you've got a video of this someplace on your webpage, don't you? I do. I believe it's on the bottom right-hand side right now. So if you go out to my website, shaunacoronado.com, and take a look at it, you will see on the right-hand side the whole story. And I actually show photos of how we created the tool together and, and how it all worked. It was really amazing. I, I don't know. I'm a total nerd. I love to see the backside <laughs> of how products are made and how it was so interesting learning about it. And so many tools we get out there, I get so frustrated. They break easy, right? Mm-hmm. The, the, so there's only a few tools I lay and DeWitt's one of them where I, I've never had a tool break from them. And I think that's the point is a lot of things are made Super cheap. Maybe it's the whole China factory. You know, things are made uh, for the lowest cost possible in China, and things break. Uh, I, I'm always unhappy with those cheapy ones. I want something that really works in the garden. I've no, I don't have any Dutch tools, even though I'm of Dutch descent, and we've been there a couple of times. Um, but I do like German-made tools and English tools. They still are making good quality tools. So it's good to know that there is another, yet another company out there that's doing it and, and that we can get tools. Now, one of the things, well, you mentioned containers. And I, as you probably know, I am a big container person. Um, I use really large containers, and most of them are about thigh high and usually maybe 16 to 20 inches wide. They can get really, really expensive. So I've got some other things that people might be interested in. And one of them is the wood pulp uh, pots that they use to grow trees in. They're less than 10 bucks for a 20-inch pot. Oh, wow. And they're brown. And they they will eventually decompose, but I'm on my second year with them, and right. uh, and I can I, you know they're not they're not the most pretty looking things, but of course I could paint them or do something else. I mostly just put them in the back row, or I'll plant something like cucumbers that will spill down the front of it. And oh. then I've tried a bunch of other commercially made planters. Um, I guess probably the one that's best known is the earth box, mm-hmm. and. I've also tried one that came from one of the big box stores called the Grow, called the City Picker. And that one I'm not, it, it's okay. And it, I like the earth box, but the earth box has got some problems. One of them being, you know, trying to fill the thing with that little tiny tube. Uh, I saw an ad for something called the Grow Box. And I, of course, I, I wrote to the company to say, tell me more about this. And it turns out that the Grow Box is made by the inventor of the earth box, 
Oh, yeah, he's made improvements. Mm-hmm. And in you know, in full disclosure, I have to say that they they, they sent me a, a sample so I can try it, and it just blows me away. It's so easy to use. I have mine up on file crates so that it raises up. They're working on making some legs for it. They already have some really nice supports if you know for growing things vertically or holding your tomatoes and stuff. Now, have you tried the grow box? I have tried the grow box. My only complaint about the grow box, because I, I loved it, I also had great success with it, no problems in there, is that to, when you fill up the water bin at the bottom of the container, uh-huh. there is a lip there that allows you to put your hose in to fill it up. Well, that lip doesn't have a lid of any kind. So if you're concerned about mosquitoes in your area, that would be an easy spot for it to breed mosquitoes. So here's what I did. I had some old coconut hull liner that I used, I used in another container years ago, and it was just sitting in my garage. I cut it up, and I snipped the piece, I stuffed the pieces as kind of a, a stopper on the side mm-hmm. of the grow box so that mosquitoes couldn't get in. And so that's how I used it. I used it with my little, you know, made-up coconut hull thingy, and I had much better success with no worry about mosquitoes. I think that in our region we have such uh, severe Lyme problems, Lyme disease, you know, that I'm very concerned mm-hmm. about yeah. mosquito sure. breeding. Well, in, but Lyme is carried by ticks, but we also have things like the Asian tiger mosquito, and they carry, a lot of the mosquitoes carry encephalitis and things like that. So we're very, very cautious about that here, too. But mm-hmm. what I do um, is I just throw some mosquito bits in there. Oh, or you it. could use a mosquito dunk, and that's BT israelensis. It was, it only kills mosquito larvae, and uh, you know larvae of that type. It won't, you know, if your bird or your dog drinks out of it, it's not going to hurt them. And that works like a charm. I have not had mosquitoes in the boxes at all, and the mosquito dunks will last for about a month. And the mosquito bits they say will last for a week, but I've been getting more than that on it, um, mm-hmm. which is. Much, much better than some of the other containers that I have that, you know, when it, we live where it's really, really hot and dry. And, um, and the pots would dry out, so I left a lot of them in saucers one year. And I discovered that the mosquitoes were breeding in the saucers in, mm-hmm. like, the tablespoon of water that was left. Oh, sure. At the end of it, they would, they would keep concentrating themselves until they were only in a little bit of water. I don't know if you, do you have Asian tiger mosquitoes in your area yet? Not not that I'm aware of, no. Oh, you're lucky. They, they fly out in the daytime and they bite the heck out of you. You know, mm-hmm. other mosquitoes you can, you'll mostly get in the morning and then the evening. Asian tiger mosquitoes are day flyers. And they can breed in as little water as in a, somebody's little potato chip bag that they tossed out of the car. Oh, sure. Same thing for us with the regular mosquitoes. It's like a teaspoon of water they say they can breed in. It's just amazing. So anyway, I used the mosquito dunks for that. But, I, you know, I'm gonna, I will talk to the gentleman that I was conversing with over at, mm-hmm. at the grow box place. Maybe they can make a little flap. I really like it because you've got room to put your hose in, even if you have a no- nozzle on it, like one of my dram nozzles, whereas oh, right. like the old earth box, which is fine in, uh, of itself, but the earth box has got a tube that you have to take the hose and stick it down in there to water. The other thing I like about the grow box 
is that instead of that plastic thing that keeps all the water off of your plants, the grow box has got a, uh, it's, I don't know what it's made out of, it's kind of a fibery thing. And so if it rains, you can get some water in there so you don't always have to be filling it with a hose. Oh, absolutely. And by by putting it up on, uh, like I said, I use the, the file crates, you get it right about at exactly the right level so that you don't have to bend or anything like that. And, and it's less expensive than some of the other ones, too. So Yeah, absolutely. Um, what other containers do you like? What have you tried? Um, one of the my favorite containers is the is made by the Crescent Company. So it, I, you have to I can't remember their website, but you have to go up and look, go out and look at Crescent containers and see if you can find it on Google. But Crescent has come out with this marvelous new container that the bottom is water filled. So that it's a self-watering unit. Now, I've worked with many, many self-watering units, including the Grobox. I have had, I sometimes struggle with it because you still have to water. Uh, but, you know, what if you go on vacation for more than two weeks? Then you're still worried about this container. Well, this new, it's patented product, they've tested it where you don't have to water for six weeks and longer. And I am fascinated by that, especially for people who live in the southwest where it's so hot and dry all the time. This would be a solution that would really help them to grow the things that they have to grow. So uh, go out and look for the crescent containers and see if you can find. They have all kinds of the traditional containers. Then they have a a smaller line of, you know, those pre-watering containers that will allow you to hold the water. Then they have this brand-new one that's just come out this year. I'm sure it will be big and strong on their website because it's really special and and different. Uh, the, The negative, this has to set either, like you said, on a table or on the ground. It's not something you can hang because it's, it's fairly large. Uh, but I think it's definitely worth looking at. I will look them up, and I will put a link on our Facebook page so that people can find it. And I'll put a link up to your website again, too, so people can find yeah. it. Um, you know, we, all, we have to spread this information around. That's why I do the show, so people can find out what's new, what works, what doesn't work. And we're going to have to take another break, but when we come back, I want to talk to you. I want to spend the whole next segment talking about what you learned um, for your book, Growing a living, grow a living wall. How to create gardens with a purpose. And we'll Yay. be back with more of America's homegrown veggie show right after this. When four members of Congress all die within four months, each of their deaths appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search discovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren, on Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.
Welcome back to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. I'm Daryl Pullis, and this week I'm talking to Shauna Coronado, who is the author of several books, but her latest book, her most recent one, is Grow a Living Wall, How to Create Vertical Gardens with a Purpose, Attract Pollinators, Grow Vegetables and Herbs, Aromatherapy, and more. And it's a gorgeous book, too. Oh, thank you. I took all the photographs, well, almost all the photographs in the book, and really focused on growing, growing, growing to create all of them. Now, tell, your, tell our listeners what kind of things that you use for growing a living wall. Were they all commercially made, or did you um, make some of them yourself? Well, I feel that everyone, you know, if you want no trouble whatsoever and you have the budget, you can go out and get a commercially built wall, lickety-split, no problem. And I have, and I use several in the book. So you can see how different ones look once the plants are fully grown, okay? But uh, there is a budget problem for most people that I know. So if you want to have more, like if I wanted to have more than one wall, I had to build some of them myself. So everything from a pallet garden to uh, growing in ball jars, you know, all kinds of creative ideas are in the book. And then, of course, I also show you, you know, how to use a system that you've purchased. So either way, uh, my goal was every chapter to have a new garden and every chapter to focus on something useful in that garden so that you're not just gardening uh, for the annual flowers. It's not just filled with petunias. You have something that really is of value both to your community and perhaps to yourself and your health, and it will make sense. And so that's the whole premise behind the book. Now, when people are choosing containers, whether they're making them themselves or, or purchasing a unit, what's the first thing they have to look for? Uh, I think the first thing you have to consider is the site. And here's why. Because not all containers fit all sites. So you have to understand where is it that you want to grow vertically. If you have a fence or a patio, and that might be either of those are great choices. Okay, you have your fence in your patio, but on your patio balcony, perhaps your landlord doesn't let you drill into the walls. Well, then you have to look for another solution, a living wall that is freestanding, that will stand on its own so you don't have to drill into the wall. So once you understand those conditions of, you know, what do you need, do you have a wall that works, then you can go to the next level. And the next level is what are your sun and shade conditions? Because sometimes when we're planting in ground, we can stretch a plant a little. It can go in part sun. It can go in shade even if it's labeled as, as a sun plant. And, for example, I'm thinking uh, sweet potato vine. That can go anywhere. Shade, sun, part sun, wherever. You can stretch it all over. It'll work anywhere. It's not necessarily true when you're growing on a living wall. You need to understand those light conditions um, because when you plant in between homes, for instance, there's far more shade there than you would expect. Even if it's sunny part of the day, it's rarely sunny between houses all of the day. And so understanding your sun and light conditions, and then, of course, which wall you can actually place it on, that's the first step to really getting started. 
Now, did you find any problems? I noticed that some of the commercially made things looked awfully small. And say if you're going to grow vegetables, of course, they need a good root room. And, and if they go from um, wet to dry very often, you know, they, you can get some plant failures. So how do you deal with that, particularly okay. since most vegetables like full sun? Well, here's the thing. Uh, most vegetables would always prefer full sun, but there are many, many shade vegetable plants. In fact, I have several lists in the book that focus on what is a shade vegetable and, you know, where will it work the best. And what I found is the general rule is no fruits and no roots will grow in shade. So let's say you have a tomato plant. Well, first of all, an indeterminate tomato plant in a very small space is pretty tough to grow, right? Even if you had the right sun conditions. But if you look at it like this, growing smaller plants in a smaller space means that you can actually up production. And here's how it works. When you plant leafy vegetables together, like Swiss chard, lettuces, kale, those sorts of plants, they have enough leaf volume that they can actually perform quite well in shade and part shade. What they need is to be planted closer together. I know it sounds contraindicatory, but it's really true. Plant it closer together. It stays moist longer. So you don't have as many moisture problems with a living wall that's tightly packed as you would with a traditional container that's spread farther apart, with the plants being spread farther apart. So if you can find those shade vegetables, uh, tack them in there, plant with the proper soil mixture, uh, you should have great success. The soil mixture I recommend for, like, traditional containers, not succulents, because succulents need a really extreme, you know, draining situation. Uh, But for the traditional vegetable, herb, and even flowers like petunias and, you know, your annuals and those sorts of things, I mix a soil mix of one-third compost, one-third rotted manure, and one-third traditional potting soil. Now, that is, the potting soil, is the potting soil that you use, is it very, is it um, soilless mix or is it one with soil in it? It is one with soil in it. No soilless mixes. And that, that's, that's a scourge. I mean, it helps when you're watering constantly. But what homeowner do you know is watering constantly? Me. I don't know. <laughs> yes. well, I live in Georgia. <laughs> I, watering constantly. So, for example, let's jump over to lots of people call me up and say, hey, I'm having a problem with my beautiful annual pot that I just got from the grocery store or from the nursery. It was so big and beautiful, and I brought it home, and then, then in three weeks it started dying. What am I doing wrong? Well, chances are you're doing nothing wrong. The plants are planted in a soilless mix, and unless you're watering three times a day like they do at the water, at the nursery, then you're not able to sustain that plant. So what I do is I recommend that when people bring home these big, beautiful containers, they actually tear them apart, repot them in a heavier soil mix, and then you'll have to water less. So you're more likely to have success. So that principle is actually extended to growing a living wall. I recommend that when you have a a raised plant that's up there getting wind on it and drying out quicker, that having a heavy soil mix 
is the secret for success. That's interesting because we were always taught that the soilless mix will hold more moisture. And, of course, the, the drawback of it is that if it does dry out, it takes forever to re-wet. Oh, and it, a heavier soil works better. Now, what about the weight? You know, if you're going to hang it on a fence or something. I've never had a problem. I've, I've hung six-foot wide living walls on my regular old uh, garden fences, and they stand up just fine. Uh, they don't, unless the fence itself is rotting or is not in the soil the proper way. You know, you really need to cement your posts in if you have a fence. Sure. And most people do, right? But if you didn't, then, of course, it would maybe be wobbly. But I've never had a problem with it. Uh, my experience is that uh, a soilless mix allows for more drainage. It does mm-hmm. not hold water. It does not hold water longer. That's a, that's not a, a truth. Uh, if you have soil in it that's real soil, you know, like rotted manure and compost and, you know, real soil, it absolutely holds the soil more. Most people recommend the soilless mix that are horticulturists because they want your containers to drain properly Uh, because if you have water standing in your containers, then the roots rot. So if you were in a rainy region like Seattle, perhaps you wouldn't want as much Uh, you know, a heavier soil, Um, but in my experience, this is the only way to have success because I have tried soilless mixes and the plants just end up dying. I can't keep water to them, you know, and I, by the way, all my container gardens in my garden, every single one is, I use this very same mix, a third, a third, and a third, and I do it because I don't want to water every day. So if I mix that heavier mix in my regular containers, I only have to water about two times a week. Hmm. Interesting. Takes now, a lot of time. It, it's it's such a change from me because I use large containers to avoid the everyday watering thing. You use small containers, but a different mix. I usually mm-hmm. use Pro Mix, and once it's wet, it stays moist for a long time. Um, but especially for things like tomatoes, I use really big pots because they develop a really huge root system. I think I'm going to have to try your mix. This year I added some compost to the pro mix, and mm-hmm. that was a little funky, I think. It didn't seem to drain as well, but maybe I used too much in proportion. Now, with the compost and with the rotted manure, is rotted manure using something like black cow or something uh, else? Or they have purple cow at the the major retailers here in our region. Um, if you use a, a cow or horse or something like that manure that you get from a farm, you'd want to make sure that it's composted well because it'll burn your your plants. So it needs to be composted, and anything that's labeled manure uh, that's bagged, especially I use because the bag has been processed. And uh, the benefit, of course, is that. You know, the secret is always the soil. And so by adding rotted manure, you're also adding microbes, special microbes that aren't in traditional soil. And so anytime that you can add a microbial mix, you're going to get a benefit from it for your plants. Uh, the other thing I sometimes toss into all my containers is I toss, <laughs> I toss in a little worm casting because the worm oh, castings they're help magic. Them. Yeah, they really are, and they help magic. absorb moisture. Yeah, and the compost you use, is that just mushroom compost or something like that? I know a lot of 
especially beginner gardeners or people that live in um, apartments don't have access to their own compost. No, if you if you usually it's my own compost. However, if I don't have access to that, I do not use mushroom. I use uh, bagged compost that you can find at your local independent garden center or you know a nursery somewhere. There's a reason I don't use the mushroom compost. I did some research years ago with the Morton Arboretum, which is in the Chicago area, and they have a help desk there. And I was looking for just the right compost mix, and I called them up and asked their advice. And they said they are no longer recommending mushroom compost because it has been proven scientifically to add salinity to the soil. Mm -hmm. So if you're adding mushroom to your beds, then not only will mushrooms sometimes grow, by the way. I've I've had that experience where I've used mushroom compost and then the mushrooms will go all over the beds. Um, The other thing that is the concern, of course, is salinity um, because it does affect the pH of your soil and it also affects the microbes that grow within your soil. So the first year, it'll look like you've given it a real boost and then in, in upcoming years, it'll gradually recede and your plants won't be as productive. That's amazing. Shauna, we're just about to the end of the show, and we could do another whole show. Maybe you can come back (laughs) next year and and talk more about that. For the time being, though, before we have to hang up, um, what is your website again for people? My website is shaunacoronado.com. It's just my name. And your book is Grow a Living Wall, How to Create Vertical Gardens with a Purpose, Attract Pollinators, Grow Vegetables and Herbs, Aromatherapy, and More. It's a beautiful book, and I really enjoyed it. And, Shana, you have really done your homework. I really I appreciate that. <laughs> anyway, that's all the time we have for this week. Thank you, Shauna, so much. And I hope you'll join us next week for more of America's Homegrown Veggies. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.